0: You went to Spruce Grove,
1: right? It's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I went to Spruce Grove yesterday to visit my parents. You went um, home
0: to Spruce Grove. That's
1: right. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. I feel like, yeah, I, I guess that's like Spruce Grove tends to kind of be the home of my youth. I spent quite a bit of time going to school and living there. Mm-hmm. I kind of also like lived outside of Spruce Grove for quite a while too, so. Do you ever? But it comfort- kind of feels like going home
0: in conversation with your family do you just call it spruce
1: yeah oh yeah okay cool yeah but i think my dad likes to call it the grove oh it sounds like cooler to his ear so yeah yeah Yeah. but yeah we usually call it spruce um did you go to the cossack Inn? i did not go to the cossack oh did you go to bing's did not go to bing's oh i didn't go anywhere except for jack's drive-in
0: Oh, Jack's Burger Shack. Yeah, I love that place. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Jack's, Jack's Drive In, <laughs> <laughs> not to be confused with Jack's Burger Shack in St. Albert. Right? That's right. Yeah,
1: yeah, totally different place and a totally different quality of food and burgers. Jack's Burger Shack is like pretty awesome, like um, freshly produced burgers, and they're quite good. Yes. And Jack's Drive In is more of like a. I mean, I, I don't know. We've talked about it on the show before, I think, right? Like, because um, didn't you go there or
0: something? I've been there once. I don't I don't know if that yeah. was in a recording though, show. I'm not sure.
1: Oh, okay, that's interesting. I thought maybe we had talked about it on the show. But yeah, it's sort of like akin to a Burger Baron, I would say. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah about the same level of quality and the same kind of infrastructure, like in terms of its like drive-in-ness mm-hmm. and stuff like that um and it's like a restaurant that we used to get food from like a fair amount i guess when i was young oh was it right yeah yeah like once every few months or something um mm-hmm. i think uh dad would either pick up food from there or bring it and bring it home or sometimes like yeah if we had to pick up like drive through we would go there and yeah i don't know it's funny like I haven't been there in years, like probably more than a decade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 at least more than a decade. And I think the last time that I went there, like more than a decade ago, I think I didn't feel very good after I ate there. And I was like, oh, that sucks. I shouldn't probably eat there anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Not not that I do much because I don't live in Spruce Grove, but Mm -hmm. so I don't really have the opportunity to... Even have it as an option um but yeah so i don't know like you and i had talked about it on the podcast or not I, I don't i don't remember and then um when i mentioned that i was going to spruce grove uh you were like oh are you gonna stop by jack's burger shack <laughs> <Sorry>. or jack's drive-in and i was <laughs> like jack's <laughs> drive-in jack's drive-in jack's drive-in and i was like oh well i could and so i did and it it was kind of shocking Actually, like... How so? Uh, it's like exactly the same. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... I don't know. I, I don't even... Honestly, I don't re- even really understand how that's possible. Like, so much has changed in the world and like... And supply of food is like so <laughs> different than it used to be. And like, I just... I don't really... I guess, like, in my mind, in my late teen years and then probably in my early 20s while well, I was, like, still aware of it as, like, an option for me to eat at sometimes or something. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, I assumed that they just, you know, had somewhere that they ordered their product from. So, like, their burger buns and their fries and their onion rings and things like that. I assumed that they just had, like, a supplier that they ordered that stuff from and that – right. Um, they just ordered the same thing all the time because it never seemed to really change at all. Right. Uh, like the quality or the presentation or the flavor of the food mm-hmm. had been what it was for like a really long time. And um, I think in the back of my mind, although I never really articulated I think I was always like a little bit curious about where they procured their food from. Right. Because like most other places aside from maybe, burger baron didn't really seem to have a similar style of food Mm -hmm. um i don't know maybe like maybe also like ballpark concessions or something that is
0: that is exactly what i thought of when i ate the hamburger i was like this is the hamburger at a baseball tournament when someone sets up a concession this is the hamburger that you get fed
1: yeah that's exactly
0: what i thought that's amazing,
1: yeah, and that's that's kind of what it's like, like yeah and, and but but so, where does that food come from, right, mm-hmm. and where is the like where is the like steady supply of the exact same burger patty from a supplier that provides that food, like I'm sure there must be a concession food provider that I'm maybe not necessarily aware of or something like that, but I don't think like what the thing that they offer is not a product as far as I'm aware that's available from like the major um, sort of like uh, uh, like big business food suppliers that we have access to in Edmonton like Cisco and GFS and well, those was, types of
0: things if I had to guess I would say Wholesale Club like the frozen food aisle of Wholesale Club like Sunspun brand
1: Alan I'm pretty sure Wholesale Club did not exist when I was like a eight-year-old kid getting drive-through with my mm. dad so this is the thing you know like right now i can imagine where i would go to get a similar project product like Mm -hmm. like the wholesale club or something like that right um but in 1990 where is that yeah Yeah. like yeah 89 like Mm -hmm. and and it was open before that like Mm -hmm. it was old like when i was growing up in spruce grove and then it got remodeled while i was growing up and it still looks exactly the same since like after it got remodeled Mm -hmm. but yeah like you know it seems like their food hasn't changed in like 30 years in some ways that's commendable i i exactly (laughs) i i kind of agree like i think when i was young i was like oh, this is like, I, I don't know. I, I guess I just didn't think about it too much. But mm-hmm. I definitely remember having some ideas about it or like thinking about it a little bit. Like, where do they get this food and it's always the same or something? I was just curious. My, But now I'm like fascinated. <laughs> Are you going like, to apply to find out? <laughs> I was I, I like I almost I, I kinda got into a bit of a conversation with the person who was working the drive-thru window. Yeah. But it was mostly just about ice cream because I asked her what her favorite kind of milkshake was there. Right. Um and then she was like, Oh, I like anything with like ice cream in it. And mm. then I told her that I worked at an ice cream shop and then we chatted about it for a little while. But like <laughs> so, when I was
0: It sounds like <laughs> uh it sounds like you made that up to to have more of a conversation like do i mean like if someone's like oh yeah i like ice cream and they're like well i'm a ice i'm the chef of an ice cream (laughs) store (laughs) because it's so improbable there's not very many i know there's really only probably two or three in the province right or no
1: yeah yeah Yeah. well i mean there's more than two or three in the province There's probably on the order of 20 or 30 but yeah i would say
0: sorry i derailed you you were having a conversation about ice cream
1: yeah but 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 like. Ultimately, I'm just like really fascinated about how they can still be providing food that tastes exactly the same as it did when I was eight years old. And, you know, just like where are they? I I just want to know like where Mm -hmm. they're buying their product from that. It's never changed, really. So
0: here are your options. You can call them and ask them. Mm -hmm. You can park behind the drive-in and surveil them as they receive and their just product. wait
1: until their supply truck shows up and yeah. then like look at the VIN number and then track it down online and see what company it works because I'll bet yeah. it's like a blank white van that drops <laughs> off their product <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, or or you can uh, set up an internship there.
1: Yeah, the, I don't know if I could. I don't know. Yeah, you could start
0: I, a. Never mind. Sorry, I'm gonna stop.
1: I don't know if I'm that curious. Yeah. I I I definitely the thought went through my head. I was like, maybe I could come to work here for a day and just see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um. But a, I don't really want to destroy the magic for myself. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Yeah. And B, I, yeah, I don't know if if I'm like willing to put an entire day into the idea of trying to find out how they do stuff. And there's probably lots of stuff that I wouldn't be able to find out in a day. Anyways, Mm -hmm. there may even be stuff that they're not willing to share for all I know.
0: Yeah. Um, Anyway, my, yeah, my takeaways from my, uh, trip there. First of all, also in my experience, super friendly. And I definitely Mm -hmm. chatted, uh, with the person taking my order. Um, that was fun. Uh, the, yeah, the burger, reminding me of baseball tournaments and uh, ballpark concessions yeah and if i put my chef hat on the other thing that i remember is that there was not a grain of salt on the fries although possibly they ask you if you want (laughs) salt with the fries oh that's
1: interesting oh yeah actually she did ask me if i wanted salt pepper or ketchup and i did find that a little weird salt
0: pepper or Um,
1: ketchup yeah those are the three con those are the (laughs) three seasonings that they have (laughs) salt pepper and ketchup
0: but if they say salt, <laughs> pepper, or ketchup, and you want ketchup on your fries, it implies you can't have salt. Maybe no, that's, I think no. it's
1: an or and or, I think is the implied thing there. Did you,
0: are you familiar with the American office? Sorry, the office, the American version?
1: Yeah, barely. I I, I haven't watched much of it. There's Let's a running joke on it
0: that in the town of Scranton, Pennsylvania, where the show takes place, there's mm-hmm. a pizza joint called Alfredo's Pizza. And there's another pizza joint called Pizza by Alfredo, and one is really good, and one is uh-huh. really mediocre. <laughs> and Michael always mixes them up and orders the wrong one. And I feel right. like maybe we've done that with Jack's Drive-In and Jack's Burger Shack. But
1: um. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think that I think that you might be right. I think that may, maybe we're not the only people who have conflated those two things, but also. You know Jack's Drive-In has like a, I don't know, it just has this like really interesting cachet for me because I grew up with it, right? And and that was that if I have one takeaway from my experience going to Jack's Drive-In yesterday, it's that like I don't know, I think a lot of the time when we. Oh man, this is kind of this is kind of like a whole show topic. Pivot. <laughs> I'm sorry everyone. <laughs> I promise I'll wrap it up. Bear with me listeners. I promise I have a point here. Um but like I I feel like when we talk about um on the podcast when we get into talking about um food nostalgia it's often in relate it's often in relation to like kind of either hmm, i don't know it's weird i feel like oftentimes our our conversations about food and nostalgia come out of us talking about things like fine dining or big meals that like you know big meal preparation mm-hmm. for holidays and things like that and I know that, like, that's not an exclusive thing, but it's sort of like, I don't know, that philosophical idea of, like, why food is enjoyable is, like, I don't know. We just tend to talk about it more when we're talking about food and cooking that seems a little bit more highbrow or something. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Alan. Well, I would have said
0: that the the biggest nostalgia buttons were pushed by things that our moms made for us, but...
1: Yeah, I, I... right and i know that's that's why i'm i'm kind of confusing myself with with the thought process that i'm going through here mm-hmm. a little bit um because yeah you're right but i think that like um like those are those are the biggest nostalgia buttons but like you know when we talk about how to how or when to push those buttons we're usually talking about like meals that evoke those things mm-hmm. or something you know like and and we do talk about the foods that we do still have you know access to because our mothers still make them for us or we now know how to make them in the style of of how they were made when we were growing up or something like that that's definitely a part of it but it's sort of like this conversation that we get into mostly when we're talking about like you know how do we replicate that or like how do we try to give that experience to someone else Mm -hmm. or something like that you know Mm -hmm. and I don't know this to me was it was just like shocking how I can just like I could go back to a place um, that was in my hometown and it's still there. It's still operating. And I can have this like food that's honestly not that great, but that is just exactly how I remember it from when I was a kid. And and I really enjoyed it then. And I also enjoyed it yesterday when I mm-hmm. had it because it just reminded me so strongly of eating that exact same. I ordered a mushroom burger. With cheese, Mm -hmm. which was like, you know, the thing that I would often order when I was younger. And man, it was crazy. It just was exactly the same Mm -hmm. as I would have had it like, yeah, 30 years ago or, or more, you know. And... Yeah, that was just shocking to me how I could have this, like, crazy food nostalgia experience, but in such a, like, you know, I was just eating this burger you in my car. car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was just, like, kind of shocking to me. I, You know, like, I was like, wow, this can really come out of nowhere. This, it's- like, this sense memory and feeling of food nostalgia and and, you know, really... It was yeah, it was just really hitting me.
0: So instead of Anton Ego sitting at a dining room table in Paris, France, being flashback to his childhood in Provence, it's Shell McDonald sitting in his Chevelle, just kidding, I care what you try <laughs> sitting in his uh
1: his tiny little hatchback. <laughs>
0: yeah. In a parking yeah. lot in Spruce Grove. Flashing mm-hmm. back to I don't know what to probably the same parking lot, right?
1: Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah or like the staff room at my dad's school while he's in a staff meeting or something like that right. or like you know mm-hmm. just all these like yeah or just like pick yeah picking it up on the way home and like having it at home
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then <laughs> so as yeah, i was like yeah i had this like crazy experience eating the burger and then i drove down like it's sort of like in the middle of what or it's Yeah, it's kind of like in the middle of Spruce Grove now, but it used to sort of feel like it was on the edge of the town. Yes. Yeah. Um, And uh, so then I was like driving out on these like, you know, what are no longer like big roads, but used to be like the main street Mm -hmm. and um, that fish and chips place that I'm pretty sure we have talked about on the podcast before. It's called Doherty's. I'm pretty sure I brought it up. I can't remember why.
0: We've talked about Spruce Grove restaurants a lot, like Peter's Steakhouse.
1: (laughs) Um, but yeah, I drove by this fish and chips place and I was like, wow, I'd really like to try that out at some point, too. Like, I wonder if that's exactly the same as I remember it from like 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For, so, yeah, I had a little trip down memory lane.
0: Shale, I think we should pivot and make this entire episode about Spruce Grove restaurants. Because <laughs> I want to know, like, if your family, like for special occasions, they would go to the something else restaurant.
1: For instance. Well yeah.
0: <laughs> oh God.
1: Are we actually is that what's happening right now? Okay, fine. I, I'm yeah, it's sometimes you just do I, have no control over where the podcast I, goes. I and sometimes wanted- you don't even have an intro. <laughs>
0: The food court. I'm Alan Sudby and I'm here with my friend Shale McDonald. Hi. Hey, Alan. We're two chefs from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We love food, and we love to talk about it. That's the closest we've been to just giggling for, for minutes. <laughs> totally. <laughs>
1: Oh man. Yeah, that's the closest we've had to having an uncontrollable giggle fit on the podcast <laughs> and, and everything going completely off the rails. It's
0: almost a shame that like because we don't usually let any kind of topic or structure inhibit what we decide to talk about on a whim. But mm-hmm. there we had to just like
1: We had to kind of rein it in because that was gonna it, le- legitimately that was gonna <laughs> turn into like a, a an hour-long cold open if we if we didn't back <laughs> off. <laughs> We will get back to that topic, though, Uh, and um, I promise the listeners that uh, before we get back to that topic, I will have tried the fish and chip shop of my youth Mm. and have something to say about it. Okay. But we do have a topic for tonight. Yes. Which is, Alan, do you want to introduce it? Wait, we have a title for our topic. Yeah. The title is, it's probably the title of the episode, so spoiler alert. Make-do cooking. That's right. You want to try and unpack that? Put a little, yeah, unpack that a little bit, Alan.
0: Make-do cooking is uh, just cooking with what you have on hand. It's maybe not, uh, it's not like you had a grocery list and went out and bought all of the ingredients that you need for a specific recipe. You're looking at what you've got and trying to make something tasty, or you're uh, working with, uh, or trying to do substitutions and use what you have on hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a lot of it has <laughs> this was kind of inspired by some of the old timey recipes in, uh, say, cookbooks that my grandmother had that would hearken to, say, the Depression era or rationing during wartime. And they would have usually cute names like, well, <laughs> cute names like make do muffins or not very cute names like, um, like World War I cake or hard times pudding or something like that. Right. Um, yeah, so this conversation is kind of inspired by those, but these are uh, modern examples of uh, home cooking where we made do with what we had on hand and then we're pleasantly surprised with what came out. How's that?
1: Yeah, hopefully, hopefully the examples that I have are um, reasonable representations of that. I guess we'll kind of see. Okay. <laughs> we'll see if I can twist them into seeming like they're <laughs> like they're applicable to the topic do i do I mean to start with the example that really
0: um inspired the conversation? yeah, totally, yeah. okay, so Lisa and I made a parsnip soup, a cream of parsnip soup. We happened to have parsnips. we made a delicious okay. creamy silky smooth soup tasted great um the next day. There's probably not quite enough. Or I don't know. Maybe we ran out of the the great bread that we were eating with the soup. Maybe there wasn't very much of the soup left on hand, not enough for each of us to have a full bowl again.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: we had pasta in the cupboard. We had some bacon in the in the fridge, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. And we had this little tiny bit of parsnip soup. And so we cook bacon. We mm-hmm. add parsnip soup, thin it out a little bit, and then cook noodles and toss it in this sauce. And this isn't like, I'm not saying that we, you know.
1: I'm not saying that we like, made a traditional carbonara, but it's kind of like we made a traditional like carbonara. A, well, <laughs> but I mean like,
0: well, no, it's not a carbonara at all because. Then I know, it's I'm just, just joking. I, I'm just
1: trying to upset our Italian listeners. Oh,
0: I see. It would be yeah. like, it would be something exactly like on TikTok. It'd be like, this is a vegan carbonara, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I'm not saying exactly. this is
0: like revolutionary, but typically when we sauce pastas we think of tomato sauce we think of cream sauces we think of um herb like pesto and stuff like that and this is like a whole other avenue like vegetable other vegetable purees that are delicious with pasta like like we we since then have done it with all kinds of soups all kinds of leftover soups we have like leftover pumpkin italian wedding soup (laughs)
1: Sorry, puree soups, thick soups. That's what I mean. Yeah. Why is your pasta sauce made of pasta? Well, let me tell you,
0: it's this new thing I'm starting. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, that's cool. What What other soups have you tried as sauces?
0: Uh, lots of root vegetable ones. So, yeah, and, and and squash and pumpkin.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a cool idea. I think it's like most of these things, um, and most of the examples that I could come up with, mm-hmm. I'm like, part of me is like, oh, this seems like a serendipitous invention that, <laughs> right. you know, and part of me is like, I'll bet like a million people have done this before I did it and I'm just not right. aware of it. Or it's you know? like, like actually it feels like, like to me
0: a traditional dish from somewhere that like, yeah, people yeah, up exac- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs>
1: And then, oh, man, we shouldn't go down this avenue. This is a classic shale avenue <laughs> of, like, lost um, cooking philosophy. But, like, really, Alan, what's the difference between a sauce and a soup? Explain that to me. <laughs> is a hot dog a sandwich?
0: Is, that, is this the kind of conversation we're having? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. A conversation that we definitely shouldn't have. <laughs> right. But... It's it's interesting in the, in this particular venue of conversation it's it's like you know you're riding that line a little bit you're like yes the yeah. difference between a sauce and a soup is just how much you eat
0: <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> so in the menu when he brought her that bowl of broken emulsion was it not just a soup. <laughs>
0: Um, I actually tried to bring this idea to a component on a restaurant menu. Oh, okay. Uh, with, okay, so the idea it was um, we had Spätzle on a menu, the German mm-hmm. dumpling noodles. And instead of putting them in in cheese sauce or just in butter or whatever, we did a kohlrabi puree. Um, oh, cool. And that was the sauce for them. And it worked. So it tasted good. What, the one thing that made it noticeably not a like buttery or creamy sauce was just like Mm -hmm. the starch component of it once it's mixed and it sits it just kind of like it just kind of like sets up in a way that is a little bit different than uh, a butter or cream sauce does that make sense
1: yeah i I think yeah or because there's like starch and fiber in the sauce or something Mm -hmm. it is gonna have a tendency to like adhere in a different way to the to the starch on the outside of the noodles and yeah which is like fine if you're eating at home Mm -hmm. can present a little bit of a problem on a restaurant menu because it could have a tendency to kind of get gloopy or something like that yeah easily
0: it's still like when you eat it like the sauce is still moist and everything but yeah it does it looks a little bit stodgy uh
1: or, stodgy. or it looks yeah. a little stodgy <laughs> yeah 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 it looks yeah i would feel like it would have a tendency to like get a little bit like um texturally homogenous a little yeah. bit more than you would want it to yes totally
0: yeah.
1: yeah which and i'm sure there are several ways to sort of like fight that effect too mm-hmm. if you increase the fat in it it might make it feel more like a sauce and less like a yeah that's true yeah yeah or something mm-hmm. but yeah yeah Okay. Well, let me see. I, I, I think I have, well, one of my examples, and this isn't exactly in the same way. I wouldn't say that this started as like, uh, what do I have in the fridge type of situation? I think it started because at some point I was like really fascinated by, um, butternut squash. And I think I had found a soup recipe. I'm not sure where. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, so I don't think it was the internet. It was, like, before I was, like, right. you know, getting a lot of my cooking inspiration and, and uh, recipes from the internet. But mm-hmm. but I – somewhere kind of early in my cooking career, I made at home a butternut squash soup uh, that had, like – that was, like, pretty basic, but it was, like – Butternut, roasted butternut squash and carrots and onions and garlic and ginger um but like the the liquid base of the soup a large portion of it was coconut milk mm-hmm. and um yeah i don't know that soup has sort of become a staple but it, it also like for a long time like for the first like maybe seven or eight years that i was making that soup i had like a pretty good idea of like A recipe for it right you know like the things that i would put in it were usually pretty similar yep but over time that recipe like would more become a way for me to use up if i had too much squash on hand yes and then it sort of morphed into this kind of like what else do i have in the in the cupboard that i can use to either extend the soup because i want to be able to have more of it or just that i need to use up and so, I really like have made i don't i don't know I don't wanna say hundreds of versions of the soup, mm-hmm. but like maybe a hundred mm-hmm. versions of it, um like with different types of squash and different amounts of coconut milk and different aromatics and different herbs in it and things like that and it's it always tastes shockingly similar. I think like just the squash and the coconut milk, when you have those two things in there, right. it just like really makes it taste like I usually remember it tasting. Mm-hmm. And then I usually kind of try to season it in a similar way. So like the the balance of the sweetness and the and the acid and the fat, like I try to sort of get that pretty similar. Mm-hmm. And also every time I make it, it's like a pureed soup. Right. And, uh, you know, it's pureed really fine in like a Vitamix. And so I think like, you know, the, the sort of like salt-acid-fat balance um, and the texture really make it seem similar, even though I've made it like a lot of times with like widely varying amounts of different ingredients in it and mm-hmm. stuff like that
0: the uh like just mentioning coconut milk or as the the kind of liquid component i think that the Mm -hmm. like cooking liquids is one that um i've you can improvise a lot with based on what you have on hand so like for instance um cooking uh when i was camping once um like Mm -hmm. maybe we could have brought bullion cubes or something but we didn't have stock and we wanted to uh to braise something and so we had been drinking a lot of tea like it was we were it was september so it was kind of cold out and we were just like boiling a lot of tea and making labrador tea and stuff like that so using that as a braising liquid is kind of an example i guess like just what you have on hand
1: Um, yeah totally yeah and for that soup i'll use like whatever i usually have some some kind of stock kicking around so like sometimes i'll have like large portions of the year i have like surplus or like a back stock of like turkey stock from when i make like (laughs) Mm -hmm. a thanksgiving and christmas dinner Mm -hmm. um i don't know if i've complained recently about how, how often we have turkey for those meals and i love turkey but i always wind up with like so much turkey stock that's in my freezer and it takes me like six months to use it up after the holiday season um
0: that's a good problem
1: yeah, it's a good problem. But yeah, so often I'll use that or sometimes I'll just have some like Tetra Pack chicken stock kicking around in my fridge. Or, um, you know, I've even – I've used like beef stock in it before. Uh, I've used water. Um, yeah. But there's always some coconut milk. But but yeah, like I've used several different like alternate sources of like liquid and flavor and mm-hmm. it kind of always comes out similar. Yeah. It's always recognizable. It's weird. Or be- Beer you need to braise something and you have beer. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, Coca-Cola. Yeah, I wonder how much of like stews and soups that like contain wine is like out of like a, a like desire to provide flavor and how much of it is out of like, this is all I have around right now to cook something in. And so I'm going to cook my beef and red wine instead. Yeah.
0: hundred percent. Like, and the same thing we've mentioned before, like, because I make cider and always have cider on hand, you hundred percent right. can use cider where you would wine. And it's ridiculous if you have cider to go out and buy wine because a recipe calls for yeah, it.
1: But, totally. Yeah, totally. What, what, what other examples do you have, Alan?
0: Well, one that, again, it's not like, it's not going to come off as, as genius, but it's really important for <laughs> our family meals. But this idea of like a generalized panzanella, And I think this is, this used to be like kind of novel to me, but I think Yotam Ottolenghi has made it way more common and way more, or like the idea is much more approachable to people, but a Panzanella. I'm sorry, who is that? Yotam Ottolenghi? Yeah, no. What? I'm not joking. I think he's one of the most influential chefs in the world right now for professional cooks. Yeah.
1: Honestly, I feel like I've never heard that name before. I'm,
0: Wow, that shocks me. Uh, he yeah.
1: so I believe he's Israeli.
0: Um, okay, and he has um I can't remember the name of his restaurants, but um he has cookbooks such as Jerusalem and Plenty, and I can't remember what else. But he is um largely vegetarian, and so most huh. most of the dishes. Uh, seriously, show I think like if you. Every few months I'll go and just like read a whole bunch of menus from restaurants all over Edmonton and Calgary. And there's so much Middle Eastern flair on some of the menus. And like, I'm positive that it comes from Otto Lange. That it comes from. But if you've seen
1: like, sounds like I have some digging to do like this dish, like roasted
0: carrots, like spicy, say like Moroccan spiced roasted carrots with yogurt and herbs. I know that Mm -hmm. doesn't sound like, something that needs to be invented, but it's one of his famous dishes. And I've seen versions of it on like three or four restaurants, um, In Edmonton and Calgary. If you see things like Duka and like other kind of Middle Eastern versions of like pesto and stuff like that, it's,
1: it's coming from him. I'm pretty sure. A lot of it is coming from him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Um, anyways, uh, anyway,
1: didn't mean to just derail. Oh no, that's
0: okay. Um, Panzanella, we think, yeah, it's bread and tomatoes. That's what Panzanella is, herbs, whatever. Um, but we talked about how my kids like this meal that we call make your own salad. This is from a conversation ages ago, where Uh we have croutons, right, and then like all these different like legumes and grains and vegetables. Some of them are cooked vegetables, some of them are raw vegetables, and the kids like. Make like pick make their own salad in a bowl, and we dress it with yeah.
1: balsamic and stuff. Um, like a salad bar at a restaurant, except without the sneeze guard and with better <laughs> ingredients, and without
0: and typically without lettuce.
1: Like it's not a green right. salad; it's like
0: just this right, right. mixture of veg and stuff that has crispy bread that soaks up oil and vinegar and vegetable juice. And um, I don't know
1: if I ever put at a salad bar at a restaurant. I don't know if I ever put lettuce on my plate.
0: Oh. Really? <laughs> bacon bits parmesan i I think
1: i was unintentionally making a panzanella every time i went to a salad bar at a restaurant yeah
0: um but now it's like it's a legitimate way that i will make lunch with leftover say we like have we did stir fry and we have like sauteed peppers and snap peas and onions and garlic and like a little bit leftover in the fridge well like top up the sauce on it you could even like if it was stir fry you're maybe you can add a bit of soy and stuff and then yeah. toss it with croutons and that's lunch right on and this too i've tried to put on restaurant menus we had one dish really well we had one dish where we, we were like we want to make panzanella picture panzanella but with cucumbers instead of tomatoes right and then i think we ended up just, i mean that's a real thing sure yeah yeah Like, and I think we called it green panzanella. So it was like cucumbers and loads of herbs. And Mm -hmm. I can't remember if there's other green veggies in there,
1: but. Yeah. I mean, I've had lots of like smashed cucumber salads that have bread in them. So I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if this fits, but like. (laughs) (laughs) This is a running theme with all of my examples. We're Um, having two different
0: conversations. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, back to you, Shale, and whatever (laughs) stuff you came up with. Uh, Yeah, so uh, this year um, for one of our holiday meals, I think it was – well, it might have been for both Thanksgiving and Christmas. um, One of the things that I was going to be making was like some kind of yam dish. Mm -hmm. And um, I – wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And I think in past years I've like made yams and added a little bit of maple and some nuts or something like that. But I kind of wanted to mix it up a little bit. And um, so I roasted the yams before uh, before I was going to put them in the dish. And I think the idea was that I was just going to make like a yam casserole type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I roasted the yams before and then – They were quite soft by the time they were roasted. And so I basically wound up with what was going to be mashed yams, Mm -hmm. which is fine. Um, And then – but then I think like I my plan had been to kind of like make a sauce for them out of like – like make a butter sauce but flavored with maple Mm -hmm. and then just garnish it with some roasted nuts. I can't remember what – I think I was – remember maybe i was using cashews maybe i was using almonds i was like whatever i had on hand hey maybe this does fit the topic (laughs) (laughs) um but like i kind of prepared the maple and the butter i think i've talked about this on the show before Mm -hmm. too maybe i talked about it in the holiday episode but yeah i i made like um I just, I just like warmed up the butter and the maple syrup ahead of time, um, just so that it would kind of be ready when the yams were kind of roasted and hot and then I could kind of put it all together in a dish and set it aside. Um, but when I started cooking the maple syrup and the butter together, it made this like really crazy, like cohesive butter sauce out of just maple syrup and butter. Mm -hmm. And then I mixed that into the yams and they all broke up and turned into mashed yams. Mm -hmm. And I, uh... And it was amazingly delicious and everyone loved it. And so it's kind of a new staple, um, which is cool because it just sort of like got invented by accident um, when I was just like trying to make sort of a different dish. Um, But then like last week or something – and I haven't watched it yet, so (laughs) – I guess I should prepare better um, for the things that I'm gonna talk about on here. But I saw like last week or or the week before that Kenji posted like a video about maple butter um no mashed yams on his channel. Yeah.
0: He listens to food court. I knew it.
1: I knew it. Oh man, Kenji, if you are listening, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That would be super <laughs> helpful. <laughs> yeah i don't know i i didn't realize that it was a thing i mean it's as a as a as a dish it makes sense that it would be (laughs) pre-existing obviously i I didn't really feel like i was inventing anything by putting maple syrup and and butter into yams like i know that that's a thing that's out there but yeah i just found it kind of interesting that like The whole maple mash jam concept is like something that I feel like I stumbled on this year Mm -hmm. kind of by accident. And yeah, and now Kenji just happens to be cooking it on a YouTube video.
0: If next week he has a video on penne noodles with parsnip puree
1: and bacon. (laughs) That's it. Uh, Then we know for sure. (laughs) Yeah, we should put an Easter egg in the... We should talk about something that's not even possible to cook (laughs) And and then see if... How can something be impossible to cook? Oh, Alan, we just stumbled on a podcast topic. (laughs) Can you come up with a dish that's impossible to cook, Alan? Um, Yeah, okay. Levitating pancakes. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, man. Jumbo Impossible to cook, but like really easy to eat because they're already at the level of your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) anyways yeah so i don't know if there i don't know if there are going to be like additional riffs on this like mash dm situation Mm -hmm. but i imagine that might be kind of what happens over the next couple of years is that i just kind of keep riffing on it Mm -hmm. well i'm interested in the the maple butter sauce and how
0: that could just be
1: a sauce a sauce for something yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah, the second time that I made it, it didn't come together as easily. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. First time it came together like as a totally emulsified butter sauce. Second time I made it, I don't know, I guess the ratio was off a little bit when I was cooking it. But, yeah, it didn't didn't quite emulsify as well mm-hmm. the second time. But it didn't really matter because you're mixing it in with a whole bunch of starch and the yams. Right.
0: I've got one that's kind of along the lines of... Um adapting cooking liquids we had had um we're gonna do a pot roast with pork shoulder and didn't have stock didn't really want to just use water um it was late in the summer like Mm -hmm. say september um and it was that time of year where like you've harvested a bunch of tomatoes there's a whole (laughs) bunch where we live a whole bunch of green green or like only partly ripened uh tomatoes in the backyard and then like usually we just we we still pick them and try and get them to ripen like on the counter kind of thing but i took all of these unripe tomatoes um tossed them like sorry with a little bit of sliced onion and and crushed garlic and stuff and put them in the base of the pot for the pot roast and then put the seared pork on top. Cool. And so as it cooked, they like break down and become a tomato sauce. It doesn't really taste like because it's much more um, acidic. Yeah. Acidic yeah. than tomato sauce. And so we ended up adding a bit of molasses to it. Um, but it was really delicious. Um, yeah, like, that sounds amazing. Like sweet and sour, um, great with pork. Um, and used up a bunch of, like, we, we really do, we are able to ripen most of those unripe tomatoes on the counter, but it was cool to use up like this kind of glean that you get at the end of, um, the season. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Like cooking green tomatoes is definitely not revolutionary, right? but you know, that's like a really cool way to get a different flavor. Like, yeah, I don't think I've ever had a sauce that's made out of green tomatoes, Mm Mm-hmm. And then, I like, the addition of molasses, like, that seems like it would add some complexity but also really work really well with the pork and, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It sounds – yeah, like, you know, there's often molasses in, like, barbecue sauce or barbecue recipes and right. things yeah, like totally. that. And so it's – yeah, it kind of, like, crosses over into, you know, that – and, like, you're making a pot roast, so you're doing this, like, slow cooking thing and then you've got, like, the molasses and that's probably creating, like – a little bit of a kind of barbecue sauce type of feel or yeah. something, and yeah, yeah, totally,
0: and it was cool, like it just seemed like something I'm not sure I've made it more than once, but it seemed like something that could be like a seasonal preparation where it's like right it's September, it's October, whatever you have unripe tomatoes, you have pork, yeah, yeah,
1: here's what we can do with that, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I need to think of a name for it. I've been struggling with that,
1: yeah, good idea I
0: want them I want all these things to have snappy names so that they become marketable nothing can
1: go viral unless it has a snappy (laughs) name exactly yeah (laughs) okay well should we workshop that now or (laughs) well i keep coming
0: back to the word glean but that doesn't sound great in the con i don't know glean
1: yeah i don't know i i understand your meaning but yeah it seems a little
0: like a gleaned pot roast doesn't really sound great does it
1: yeah no exactly (laughs) it's not really a food word i guess is what kind of what i'm thinking
0: I mean it is a food word cuz it's about I
1: understand why <laughs> you're using it. I'm not saying it's nonsensical, Alan. I just mean that like I yeah, I don't know. It it's yeah. I don't know. It doesn't sound food it's it's not descriptive of the flavor or texture right. of the food. It's like descriptive right. of the manner in which you acquired it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is not usually the way that people describe a dish. Right. But yeah. Although in those situations like in the <laughs> in the case of like world war one muffins or whatever it is <laughs> that, you, <laughs> that you were talking about earlier yeah i think yeah i guess you can really call food anything yeah that's... and actually I have another hmm. one
0: that's centered around molasses oh really it's a bit odd um where i think we've talked about how i used to make vinegar and sell it at right. a farmer's market um, And I wanted a better way for people to taste vinegar at the stall. Right. Because
1: um, I think I might be familiar with this story. But yeah, yeah. I don't know if the listeners are. (laughs) Um, We want a way for
0: people to taste vinegar. Because even if it's high quality vinegar, it's pretty jarring to just like suck back a a spoonful of it. Um, Yeah. And I had this old uh, Reader's Digest book. Uh, Shoot, I can't remember. Oh, it's called Back to Basics. <laughs> it's on the shelf behind oh, me. Oh
1: <laughs> man, that's pretty good.
0: Um, and it's basically about like we like to think that, you know, urban homesteading is like this cool thing of the last 20 years, but they right. like this was huge in the 70s. They just didn't call it that. Um, yeah. So that's when this book is from. And they ha- there's a recipe for uh something called switchel in the book. And switchel right. is like this old-timey drink like before we had, you know, lemons and limes on every counter. Uh, we would make these thirst-quenching drinks with vinegar. And switchel was uh, cider vinegar and molasses and ginger diluted with cold water. And so I set out to make this switchel concentrate, this mixture of my cider vinegar with a bit of honey, molasses, and ginger yeah. uh, with the idea that people can buy the concentrate and put a splash of it into stiller sparkling water. And I can serve this at the stall for people to taste vinegar but also for people to like i could instead of just buying or sorry selling um retail bottles i can also be selling drinks and beverages for people to to be drinking at the at the farmer's market
1: you know what they call that alan uh what value added product oh yeah that's right yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what it is (laughs) um
0: so all that to say that I had this switchel concentrate in my kitchen all the time. Yeah. And one day we were making stir fry and we always start our stir fry with, or we always have ginger and garlic in the stir fry, but I didn't have fresh ginger. And so we put some of the, use the switchel to make the sauce. That makes sense. And just like added a bit of soy and garlic to it. And it was delicious, yeah. like absolutely delicious. And basically a dead ringer for her, for the, um, the stir fry sauce that we would usually make, but we've started. Yeah. To well, y-
1: I mean, a lot of stir fries have vinegar in them. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And sometimes like fermented vinegar and like, you know, or like black vinegar. Mm-hmm. And so it has like a little bit more complexity. And so right. I kind of feel like maybe the molasses is even filling in there a little bit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um,
0: but now we have all kinds of dishes that we make that are where the the flavor pop is coming from the switchel concentrate. And so we'll call it like, really? like for instance, switchel. And so
1: it, now you're no longer selling the switchel as a value added product, but you have to keep the switchel concentrate around your house because it's the only ingredient that you know how to make a stir fry with. Well, we make it like <laughs> I'll make it and keep it on hand because it yeah. will
0: last forever as far as I know. Um, yeah. And... Yeah. It's like how it's a convenient sauce that we make at home. And so for yeah, instance, great. the, the two, besides using it in stir fry, um, we make, we call it switchled chicken. Okay. So it's like say braising chicken thighs or something like that. Right. Uh, and the, the cooking like braising is, and
1: glazing maybe or something.
0: Yeah. And it, it actually yeah. ends up tasting like if you add gar enough garlic and black pepper and stuff, like it tastes like chicken adobo, like it, cause it's like vinegar right. and, and, and sugar and, Um, or like glazing root vegetables, like carrots, like switchled carrots. Totally. Um, anyways, it's, yeah, it's like part of our pantry now.
1: That's cool. And so do you just like make a batch every time you run out kind of thing?
0: Yep. And it's, I think it's, it's like equal parts, um, fancy molasses, cider vinegar and honey. And then I think Mm -hmm. a half part of chopped, um, ginger, uh, Mm -hmm. bring it to a simmer, let it go for 10 or 15 minutes to infuse. Um, if you let it sit after that, you can actually get some of the like hot ginger vibes out, um, right. then just strain it and we can store it at room temperature. I don't know if that's, if the CFIA agrees with that, but like we'll, we'll keep it in our pantry.
1: Alan. Yeah. Is this like the very first time that we've given like a start to finish recipe for something that someone can actually make at their home on the podcast.
0: No, what about yummy chicken?
1: Yeah, but that wasn't our <laughs> oh, recipe. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that
0: might uh... I mean
1: I guess we did walk through, yeah. I guess we have walked through a few recipes from the internet. Right. But yeah. But not not of our own creations and not that someone couldn't just have accidentally stumbled off elsewhere, right. stumbled across elsewhere.
0: Well, I shouldn't have given it out and then we could have sold it. <laughs>
1: No, it's fine. Oh, okay, <laughs> We're going to start a, still food sell port,
0: a little online shop like the Noma one that we were
1: talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are we going to have in there? Switchel? Switchel, um, butter liqueur, but, Bro, maple brown, butter. Brown,
0: brown butter liqueur. That was one that we talked about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then obviously snails, plover eggs. um, <laughs> <laughs> all of the <laughs> provisions of a modern kitchen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um should I use up my last one? I I don't know. I don't even I hesitate to bring this one up because I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um when I was trying to eat uh like practically no carbs at all. Mm-hmm. Uh I needed to make it kind of simple for myself. So I was um I was, like, making a lot of large batches of, like, beans and, like, you know, things that are more protein-heavy. Right. And as listeners may remember, um, lentils are, like, one of my favorite foods and definitely um, probably my favorite of, like, the beans and pulses. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I had a lot of lentils around, and I was using them to make things like – cassoulet um but a few times i didn't really have the ingredients that i needed to like actually make like a cassoulet in the way that i would normally make it um and so i just wound up either adding like garlic sausage or hot dogs to it (laughs) and (laughs) having basically (laughs) like franks and beans Mm -hmm. um but just made with like um made with lentils that I had put a lot of, like, um, love into to make them taste delicious so that I wouldn't start getting bored of eating them. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, a little bit of a revelation because I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know. This is stupid because, obviously, <laughs> it's not anything that I invented. Like, it's basically just, a you know, like, a kind of a different version of a cassoulet, which is, like, you know, something that is you know widely used in classical cooking right and then also it's like you know i didn't invent wieners and beans that's <laughs> a like north american um like bachelor dinner staple yeah. or something yeah, yeah. and so I, I feel like i didn't do any inventing here but somehow through the through like the course of like accidentally making this dish for myself I put together all of these connections between like Wieners and Beans and Cassoulet (laughs) and and like and you're like like, what's even the difference between them (laughs) there is no difference like it's all a part of the same continuum and I I kind of like put that together for myself and in doing so realize that there is like a broad Range of territory there um, for the inclusion of ingredients that I have happen to have in my pantry that that I don't you know necessarily have a way of using or whatever. Everybody
0: in France just
1: spat. (laughs) Surely not. I mean, like, (laughs) I I understand the difference. Like, there, you know, like obviously, you know, one is like two. Pre prepared processed foods that you just throw together in a pot and heat up as quickly as you can. Um, and then the other is like, you know, a long storied traditional food that people ha- in, in, old Europe have been eating for a really long time and perfecting in their own regional ways. Like, I understand all of that. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that, like, you know, one is exactly the same as the other. But I feel like, okay, here, here's here's the nugget of what I think that I discovered. I, I feel like the appeal of wieners and beans is, like, founded in the um, satisfaction that you can get from a good cassoulet. It's just, like, an easy way to make that happen in like a less you know fancy way or a way that takes way less time but you still get some of the same like textural and flavor kind of um satisfaction out of that and so you know like as as much as it is is like you know a a far distant cousin it's like the reason why it works at all is because, um, you know, for the same reasons that, that Cassoulet is like amazingly satisfying Mm -hmm. and delicious. And then I, yeah, I guess I, for myself, I sort of realized that there's like this continuum between those things where you can, you know, kind of use different things to branch off and make different things that are very similar to Cassoulet and have that same sort of, um, that offer that same sort of satisfaction, but that, you know, can be sort of a, broad canvas to use whatever you have in your pantry or in your fridge um, to make a meal for yourself. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel the same way about frittatas. And I know that's probably, (laughs) I know that that's probably like, you know, um, there are probably frittata purists who also, um, you know, will scoff when I say that. But I feel like something like a frittata is like a really great way to use up a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily have, oh, yeah. Yeah. um, a purpose for or a recipe for or something. You can make a lot of things work in the context of a frittata that, mm-hmm. that you wouldn't normally, uh, necessarily be able to use up. That's what true. else you got, Alan? <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, not much. The, um, <laughs> sorry, the talk of hot dogs and then the talk <laughs> of, um, our previous talk about cooking liquids reminds me when I was growing up, every Saturday my dad would make lunch and he'd always make hot dogs, but he'd always boil them.
1: Uh huh. And then there That's was a perfectly legitimate way to cook hot dogs. Yeah, of course.
0: Yes. Yeah, sorry. Did I say it with consternation? <laughs> maybe. A uh, little no, bit. no,
1: no. Just like maybe like a, like a little tentativeness wherein you were like unsure about how popular a method that was right. or something. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah.
0: I just fry them now. But, anyways, uh, and yeah. so you'd end up with hot dog water that would just go right. down the sink. But, That's a that would be a perfectly (laughs) valid cooking liquid, right? Slightly smoky. Maybe.
1: I mean, like maybe. Yeah. No, you're you're right. I guess it just seems weird for some reason. It it seems like the butt of a joke all the time. You know that you would cook something and or that you would reuse hot dog water for something.
0: (laughs) But so what's at the kernel of that joke? That it's, it's a cheap thing to do or a lazy thing to do or what? Because to me, it no, sounds I think genius. the idea
1: is that it's gross or something. Well, why would it be but,
0: gross? It's cured pork.
1: But you're right; it's not. It's not gross. It's it's fine. It's good. Yeah, it has like hot dog flavor in it. <laughs> and if you're cooking something also that has that, you, like if you're cooking a meal that also involves hot dogs, I'm sure there's like a hundred good uses for that hot dog water.
0: Right, like it could be like a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, you can't be. even stay serious about it, so don't try and like make it out like I'm the person that thinks that hot dog water is a bad idea in this conversation, because be. you can barely keep a straight face talking about it. It could be a hot dog pot
0: <laughs> of pho or something,
1: <laughs> where you serve the hot dogs with their cooking liquid. Yeah, exactly. Or a hot dog hot pot. <laughs> Uh <laughs> It's exactly like a pot of fun. <laughs> The
0: hot dog is the bouillie and the hot dog water is the bouillon. It's fine.
1: That's right. <laughs> Listening to Food Court, a podcast recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Food Court is hosted by Alan Sutteby and Shale McDonald. Theme music by Ryan and Shale McDonald. Make sure to subscribe to Food Court in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or in your favorite podcast player. We love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at feedback at foodcourt.fm, or find us on Instagram at foodcourtpodcast. If you want to spread the word, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks with a fresh new episode. Thanks for listening.